Hey friends, welcome to the City Hope Podcast. My name is Bobby Thompson and I have the privilege of serving as a lead pastor. I pray that today's message would inspire you, it would encourage you, and it would also challenge you in your walk with Christ. Enjoy today's sermon. Oh, well, again, good morning. Uh, thank you for being here. My name is Bobby, and if I haven't got to meet you yet, I would love that opportunity. One thing that I already know about our church is we need to work on our rhythm. Uh, <laughs> clapping and singing at the same time is hard sometimes. Uh, but uh, I'm so, so, so glad you're here this morning. Uh, listen, I, I fully believe this, that, that uh, your presence matters to Jesus. Jesus cares whether or not you get up and, and go and serve and love. You know, the, the Bible calls the church his bride. And, and I believe with all of my heart that he's, he's uh, uh, thankful that each one of us are here today. And I'm, I'm thankful your presence matters. And so uh, I hope you came in here expecting. Everybody having a good day so far? Everybody all right so far? All right. Anybody mad? Anybody just angry this morning? Some of you might be. It's okay. All right. Um, well, no matter what you brought in here, I believe that God has a word for you. Uh, about Tuesday this week, I, I was looking at my notes and I had like 15 pages. And I was like, man, we're going to be there till Monday night if I do this. And so uh, I've been so excited to preach uh, this message to you guys. We're starting a brand new series called Revival Town. And uh, it, it, I'm, I'm super excited about it. Revival is kind of one of those church words that's been used for a really long time. And it's, a, it's something that we're going to take a deeper look at. So over the next uh, month, we're going to just dig in and look at different revivals of, of the church and what the Bible has to say about it. Um, one, of the, one of the more well-known revivals came in the early 1900s called the Azusa Street Revival. Anybody remember that? Everybody, anybody heard of it? Not like you were there, but anybody, some of you have maybe heard of it. Um, but, but this was the uh, building that the Azusa Street Revival started in. This is in downtown Los Angeles, California. And this is, uh, uh, it, it looks a little bit bigger, but really it's, it's kind of a shack. It's roughly the size of an, of an average American home. And uh, this was the beginning of the Azusa Street Revival. This was a, a, a holy, holy place. Thousands and thousands of people came from all over the world to experience what was happening. They heard what was happening. And believe it or not, this was an old horse stable. And so when people came in, the, the ceilings were low, the flies were still around, the smell was still there, but nobody cared. Nobody cared about all of that. They wanted to see and experience what was happening. The Los Angeles Times wrote this about the Azusa Street Revivals. The devotees of the weird doctrine practiced the most fanatical rites. They preached the wildest theories and they worked themselves into a state of mad excitement in their peculiar zeal. And while this building no longer stands today, the, the Azusa Street Revival is still very active and around the world. As a matter of fact, you probably have heard of the Pentecostal movement, the Pentecostal church, over 70 million people in 150 different countries. 80% of all Pentecostal founders trace their beginnings to the Azusa Street Mission. So revival is not new. Revival is not something that we're creating. Revival is something that has been needed and something that's been happening for years. And so, so I thought about it this week. Well, well, what really is revival? Let's, let's just start there. Let's unpack this question at hand. What in the world is revival? Maybe it's something we've heard, but, but what does it really mean? Well, it, it originates from this idea that, that we serve a God who is in charge Whole, wholeheartedly, he's the decisive giver of all spiritual life. He is in charge of that. 
And then there's us. We have this uh, human nature to, to fall, to sin. to And, and even, even those of us that are in the family of God, right? Even those of us that, that are, are, are born again, part of God's family. From time to time, we drift into um, this kind of lethargic lifelessness, this, this backsliding, indifference, weakness, right? And so we have this spiritual God who's in charge of everything. And then there's us who has this proclivity to, to sink into lifelessness and and, and lethargic living. And so when you put those two things together, right, we have God, the giver of life, and then we have man drifting towards lifelessness. So what you get is the need for reviving. You need the hope, the, the coming back to life. And so if I could just give a simple uh, definition, revival would be this. This is what I would say, a fresh outpouring of God's life-giving spirit on his people. A fresh outpouring of God's life-giving spirit on his people. Now, how many of you, when I, when I heard that, when I, when I thought about that this week, man, I was like, that's something that I want. That's something that I really want in my life, this fresh outpouring of God's spirit. That's what revival is. And the reality is throughout the pages of scripture, we see this over and over again. Some of you Bible scholars in here, you know this. Uh, Israel were, were God's chosen people. God chose this group of people, and he says, you're my people. But look through the life of Israel. The history of Israel is all up and down, right? There would be this king, and he would be evil, and he would teach the people to do stuff, and people would backslide, and they would sin, and they would turn away from God. And what would God do? God would withhold his blessings. God would curse them. But then we would see a new king come, right? And he would reestablish, like, this is all God's, and he would be a good king, and God would bless the nation, and, and God would pour out his spirit and there would be this fresh outpouring and so the 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 history of the 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 Israelites would go up and down up and down and there would be this true worship for a season and there would be this backsliding kind of like our lives right you turn to the New Testament and Paul Paul was one of the authors of the New Testament he wrote a lot of it and a lot of times Paul would pray and he would he would pray and write in these letters and there would be these prayers that these churches were like man come on guys don't you get it don't you understand what you have like there's you, you guys are drifting into lifelessness and Paul would uh, just encourage for hey we need revival in these churches and I think the Bible is so full of examples and, and direction on how we can experience spiritual revival today. And kind of the tagline for this series and, and what we're gonna, you're going to hear over these next few weeks is this. The road to revival town is easy to find when we follow the signs and wonders along the way. When we see how God moved, when we look at the history, when we, when we study the history of churches, when we study the history of God and, and his word we can see that Revival Town comes when we follow the signs and wonders along the way. And we start by looking at the churches in front of us. Now, some of you, it, it, maybe you're new to this, and you're like, okay, well, what was like one of the first churches? What was it like? What was some of the things they did? What was some of the things? Was it, was it like this? You know, did they have lights and screens? You know, obviously not. But, but Acts chapter 2 shares a lot what the first church was like. And, and listen to this. You don't have to turn there. It'll be on the screen. But, but, but listen to what... Uh, uh, the description is to the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders, in, excuse me, any, many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Listen to verse 45. It gets a little radical. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. 
Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This was the early church. Seems a little radical, right? Seems a little like a little different than today. One of the signs that we see here that, that we read about in Acts chapter 2 in this early church, I think one of the things that we can look at throughout the history of the church is they had unity. They were all kind of in the same mindset. Look back at verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Like we can't even agree in some churches what color to paint the wall, right? What color are we going to do the carpet? Are we going to do carpet? Like, like we can't, they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and gave to anyone who was in need. And I know some of you are like, man, pastor, are you going to tell us to sell everything and give? Like, that's not what we're going to talk about today, okay? The early church, the reason why they were united, the reason why they had to be together is because there was persecution coming their way. People didn't want them to live for God. People didn't want them to spread their message. So they were being persecuted for what they believed and what they thought. And so the, the way that, that spiritual unity happened in their life was communal living. So they came together. And not only did they come together, but, but, but they sold their possessions. They had this idea, and, and, and this is where we're going to dig in a little bit today. They had this idea that, that, that people mattered more than possessions. People came before possessions and so one thing that they did that I believe God is calling us to do and this is what we're going to talk about for a few minutes today is they merged their physical life with their spiritual belief they merged their physical life the things that they had going on the happenings in their life they merged their 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 physical life with their spiritual beliefs and it became one thing I believe that if we merge our spiritual beliefs into our physical world, then we'll see revival. We'll see revival. One of the stories uh, that we read about, and, and I think it's one of the greatest ways that we can understand this, this merge uh, that, that is happening here, is in Mark chapter 2. Uh, Mark chapter 2 is, is, is one of my favorite stories. I'm going to ask you to turn there. But while you're turning there, since we're talking about merging, I want to tell you this little story. So my oldest daughter, Emma, we're teaching her how to drive. She's, she's actually a pretty good driver, okay? She does a really good job. And um, I have a, a, a big old truck, and it's like a tank. And I'm like, Emma, if you can drive this thing, you, you can drive anything, right? And so we're learning the, the, the rules of the road. And, and so we're learning how to merge, right? And if you think about it, as you're driving, Merging is one of the hardest things to do. It really is. Because you're in this lane and somebody's in this lane and you don't know what the heck they're thinking. They don't know what the heck you're thinking. And somehow you guys got to stop, slow down, get on the right path and get on the same road, right? And we have some weird merging places around our area. If you didn't notice, when you come off of 278 and you're coming this way onto 170, like you can go 100 down that little ramp and people are going 100 down 170 and bam, you're just supposed to get in there. Well, you know, as a family, uh, 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 Emma's driving us around sometimes, and we have some reactions in the car that, that aren't always the great. M- maybe some of you can relate. Shira, she sits over in the passenger seat, and she's got a brake over there. Uh, any of you guys have a brake on the passenger side? Like, you're, none of y'all do that? Like, I'm in the back holding on to the, the O-poop handle, like, you know, you know? And, and Sissy, Sissy, maybe some of you are like this. Sissy, I'm not, I'm not even exaggerating. She'll see a car pulling out a mile away. And she, <gasps> and she just, <gasps> she get any gaspers in here. And everybody's just like, what is wrong? What, what's going on? 
And then Marley, our youngest, she's just in the back, and she's just laughing, like, Emma, you're terrible. Like, it's just, it's the greatest. It's the greatest. But we're learning how to merge, right? We're, we're trying to teach her how to merge. And merging in traffic, obviously, can be difficult, right? But merging in, in, in our life can be difficult. Merging our physical life, what we go through every day, our work, our, our, our job, our home, our school, our team, merging those things with these spiritual beliefs that I want to have, that I say I have sometime, can be difficult. Mark chapter 2, I think, is one of the best stories in the Bible that we're able to see how the physical life and a spiritual belief merges together. So if you found that, let's stand to our feet and honor the reading of God's word uh, <clears throat> just to change your position, wake some of you up. But let's read through these first few verses here in Mark chapter 2 and look at this unbelievable story of unity. Mark chapter 2 beginning in verse 1, when he entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was, he had come home. They gathered in such long numbers that there was uh, large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. So Jesus is in a house preaching so many people. Verse 3, some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was laying on. Kind of a crazy story here. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that, there was, that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he says to the man, look at verse 11, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Would you pray with me? Father, bless the reading of your word. Use these next few minutes in our lives. Show us the places that we need to merge. Show us the places in our heart that need to come together with your heart. Show us the places where we need to have unity in serving you and your church and your people. Lord, speak directly into our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So obviously we have this, this story. Now, Jesus is the hero of the story. Jesus is always the healer, uh, the hero of the story. He's forgiving. He's healing. People are amazed at him. He's always was and always will be the hero of this story. But here in this story, there's some supporting characters, right? There's some supporting characters, but we don't know a lot about these guys. There's these four men who don't even get their names written down. They don't even get a shout out in the credits at the end, of the, uh, the end of the movie, right? Where nobody looks. They don't even get anything. They were called some men. That's, that's how we know these guys, some men. But these some men did an extraordinary thing. They did what we're talking about today. They merged their physical life and their spiritual belief together 
And, they, and then we were able to see something incredible happen. So let's just break this down for a second. What we do know that these some men, these four men had a friend who was broken. They had a friend who was physically paralyzed. They had a friend who was spiritually uh, in need of healing. But these four men, they saw their friend and they immediately thought, okay, here's our broken friend. We need him to get to Jesus. We need him. This is where I believe sometimes we get, we get a little messed up, right? And, and, and we'll explain it here in a second. They knew that if their friend would meet Jesus, that he would benefit from it. All they needed to do, all we had to do is get our friend to Jesus. Now, I want to illustrate this a little bit today. Um, I, I brought with me a blanket this morning, okay? And the Bible says there was four men carried in a mat, all right? Brennan, come on up, man. I got Brennan here to help me. Y'all give it up for Brennan, all right? <clears throat> come on, man. All you got to do is sit down, all right? All right, I told Brennan he didn't have to say anything. He's a little nervous, all right? But that's all right, okay? So I need, I need four strong men, all right? Four strong men. Uh, Eric, can you get your wife to help me? Uh, 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 no, come here, come here, Eric. Come here, come here, Ryan. Grab one of the corners, right? Come here, come on, child. All right, everybody grab one of these corners, okay? You do, you do. You're a strong man, okay? All right, hold on, hold on. Now, I set this up with these guys beforehand, all right? Me and Ryan talked about it, and I said, all right, we got to get Brennan to the back door, Okay, and Ryan told me he thought the best way to get Brendan to the back door was to go around this way. Remember telling me that? Yeah, yeah, you remember telling me that. Okay, yeah. And then I talked to Eric beforehand, and Eric was like, Ryan's stupid. He doesn't know what he's talking about. All right, Eric told, <laughs> Eric told me the best way to get to the back door was over this way. You remember saying that? Okay, you did. Stop lying. You're in church. All right, Ray and Travis... They're, they're, they're united. They get it. They're, they're smart. They're smart guys, okay? They said, no, the easiest way is right down the aisle, okay? So on the count of three, I want you to go the way you told me you were going to go, all right? One, two, three, go. Go. Get there. Get there. Uh, hang on, Brandon. Hang on, Brandon. Uh, all, right, all right, hold up. Hold up. Hold up. All right, come back. Come back. Come back. Come back. Uh, all right, Brandon, how you doing? You good? All right, stay there. Stay there. Stay there. All right, listen, 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 listen. Here's where we get in trouble. Right? Here's where we get in trouble. Eric thinks the best way is to go this way. And so what does he end up doing? He ends up fighting against what our goal is, right? Ryan thought the best way. These guys, well, duh, the easiest way is this way. And what happens? Did you notice nothing happened? Brennan's still here. Brennan didn't get to where we need to get him. All right, now, guys, listen. All right? Put your ego aside. The best way to get Brennan out the door is right there. All right? Can y'all take Brennan to the door? All right, thank you. Come on, come on. Work together. Good job, good job. All right, good, good work, good work. Y'all can just keep going. Just take him out. Just take him on out. No, that's good, that's good. You can leave him there. <clears throat> give these guys, give these guys a, a little round. <clears throat> I, 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 listen, this is one of my favorite messages. I preach this in, in elementary chapel all the time. The kids love it. All right, <clears throat> um, but I want you to see something here, all right? Some men, they didn't just help out their friend. They didn't just help out their friend. They worked together in unity to get their friend to Jesus. They wanted him to experience and encounter Jesus. They united together, they held their corner, and they got their friend to Jesus. But I want you to see something. Do not miss this. Look at verse 4. The Bible says this, since they could not get him to Jesus because of a crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, then lowered the mat, and the man was lying on. It wasn't easy. 
It was never easy for them to get their friend to Jesus. They had to go through a roof. Now listen, I don't understand all that. How do you dig through a roof? And I, and I don't get it, right? It's, it's, it's crazy. But I think that the message here is, is even though their struggle, they didn't stop. Even though it got hard, they never let go of their corner. They, their, their desire, their goal was to get their friend to Jesus. And they worked together. In unity, so their friend could experience Jesus. Now, let's bring that home to your life today. Some of you may be sitting here today, and the reality is, is you're holding the corner for somebody. There's somebody in your life that you know if they would just trust Jesus, if they would just get there, and you're ministering to them, a spouse, a family member, a kid, a coworker, a teammate, a child, whatever it is, and you want them to experience Jesus, and you're like, man, how much longer do I got to hold on to this corner? I'm growing, I'm growing weary, and, and tough times are here, and I just want them to experience it so bad. What if these men had quit? What if, what if they just, man, I'm, I'm too tired. I can't, hand on, I can't hang on to my corner anymore. Maybe some of you are here today and your, your question is, how much longer do I got to on, hang on to the corner of this blanket? How much longer do I got to keep walking with this corner? Well, let me tell you this, and if you don't hear anything else, hear this today. We got to hold the corner of the blanket and carry on until we bring them to Jesus. That's how long we do it. We don't give up. We hold the corner until we see revival. We hold the corner until we see healing. We hold the corner and we keep pushing and we don't grow weary and we don't let the enemy steal our corner. Why? Because we need them to experience Jesus. And some of you today, man, you're tired and you're weary and God's calling you today and he's encouraging you today and I hope that this church would rally around you today and they would say, hey, let me hold the corner with you. We'll walk with you. And these four men, I love these guys. They weren't looking out for their own personal interest. They cared about the well-being of their friend. They took their physical life and they merged it with their spiritual beliefs and said, we're going to do everything it takes so that our friend gets to experience Jesus. Let me encourage some of you today, be the kind of friend you wish you had. Be the kind of friend that, that is, you know what, I'm, I'm holding my corner and I got your back no matter what. And you want somebody in your life to do that, then you be the kind of friend you wish you had. And look what happens. Look what happens when God's people value people over possessions. When they value unity over selfishness. When they don't stop because things get tough. Look what happens. Look at verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, remember, Jesus is the hero, right? Jesus is the hero of, of all these stories, but he gives major props right here. Look, what the, look at those first five words. When Jesus saw their faith. So, so my friend who is, who is spiritually in need of healing, who is physically in need of healing, the Bible says that when Jesus saw his friend's faith, his sins were now forgiven. They united in the fact that their friend needed Jesus more than anything else, more than any conversations, more than anything else. Their friend needed Jesus, and they got, because of their faith, because of their willingness not to give up and hold their corner, their friend got to be renewed by Jesus himself. 
What an unbelievable moment when, when their friend's life was literally changed forever. Why? Because they were unified. They took their physical life. They merged it with their spiritual belief. And they, they, they put their money where their mouth is. Their actions followed their beliefs. They got to be a part of something life-changing. There was revival in that young man's life. There was a fresh outpouring of of God's spirit in that man's life. And it started with the faith of their friends. But the story's not over yet, right? We we keep reading in the story and and Jesus looks at the young man and he says, "Your, your, your sins are forgiven. Because of their faith, your sins are forgiven. And then the Bible says that the religious elite, the people in the room, they started thinking these negative thoughts. They didn't even say them out loud. They just started thinking them, right? And they're like, man, who is this guy? He can't forgive sins. He can't heal people. This is God's job. This is and they're thinking these things. And Jesus kind of calls them out. He's like, why are you guys thinking all these negative things? What, what do you guys think this is? And he shows why he's the hero of the story. But then at the end of this, he tells the, 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 his friend, listen to this. Not only did I forgive your sins, and now all these naysayers are saying something. Look what Jesus says in verse 11. Now he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. So not only do we see a spiritual healing when God forgave his sins, but now we see a physical healing. A physical healing. Get up, this paralyzed man, get up, pick up your blanket, pick up your mat, and go home. But not only, not only was this friend changed, but that's, that's not the end of the story, right? Like, yes, his life changed. He can walk, he can run, his life is totally different. He experienced Jesus And now his life is changed. And it all started with these four men who were unified in the thinking that Jesus is the answer for my friend. If I can just get him to Jesus, he can do it. And that's not the end of the story because look what happens. Not only did he get up in his mat and he walked out, but look what verse 12 says. He got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of everybody. Remember, Jesus is in a house. There's no room. It's totally full of people. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. The friend was changed, but then everyone who witnessed it was changed as well. The friend's life was physically changed. The friend's life was spiritually healed, but then everybody around, the Bible says, praised God. There was a revival. There was a fresh outpouring of God's spirit. Because why? Because these four men, they had faith. They held their corner. They united together. They merged their physical life and their spiritual belief. And they said, we're going to get our friend to Jesus no matter what. We don't know a lot about some men. But what we do know is they had a friend who was broken. And they believed that Jesus could help their friend. They weren't going to stop when times got tough. Their friend was able to experience Jesus and his life was changed forever. And Jesus used his life and the faith of his friends to change. And for the Bible says everyone who saw this were amazed for many, many, many other people to bring glory to God. These men had a mindset to get their friend to Jesus. Now, if you stop and think about this, These men obviously must have been Christians. They must have been followers of Jesus, right? 
Why else would they think that Jesus could do something? Because they had already experienced the power of Jesus in their own life. They had already experienced him for themselves. So they wanted their friend to experience the same thing that they were able to experience. And listen to me today, church. This is an earth shattering, but I want you to hear this. You cannot give away what you do not have. These men, they, they had an experience with Jesus, and they were like, hey, we know what he needs. They, he needs to get to him because I've experienced it, and I want you to experience it. And, and maybe you're here today, and you've heard about it. You've thought about it. Maybe you've even prayed. You've heard about it in church. You wrote about it. Maybe, maybe you've even sang some songs about it. But if you have never experienced the saving grace of Jesus, you can't give it away. You can't tell other people about it and, and, and it be genuine. And, and, and for some of you, it's time to merge your physical life with the spiritual belief that Jesus is the only hope that I have. He is the way, the truth, and the life. See, we started looking at Acts chapter 2, and that was the early church, and we read all this, this stuff, that, and, it, and it looks radical, right? And in that same story, Luke, who's, who's writing all this, he starts talking about how revival started during the days of Pentecost, okay? And, and you can go back and read all of this. But one of the guys that was telling the story, so, so Peter, Peter was this guy who was a follower of Jesus, and, and, and usually when Peter talked, people thought he was drunk, like he was crazy, he said a bunch of stupid stuff all the time. But Peter, he gets in front of the church and he starts telling them this story, right? And he's like, listen, let me tell you what Jesus did. This is a guy who walked with Jesus, right? And he's like, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus got put on a cross and he died for you. And not only did he die, but he was put in a grave. And three days later, and, and Peter's telling him this story, and they literally think Peter's drunk. And he's like, listen, guys, not only was he in the grave for three days, but I saw him. He showed himself to me after he came back. And the crowd was like, what? What are you talking about, Peter? And listen to what they ask him. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, listen, listen, listen. Brothers, what shall we do? Peter, you just gave me a lot of information. You just, you just, you just dropped a bomb on me. What am I supposed to do with this? Listen to what Peter says. Verse 38, Acts chapter 2. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. Peter says, listen, this Jesus, he's the Messiah. And here's what you need to do. Here's what you have to do. You have to give, your, you have to unite under him. You have to merge this physical life that you have, this real life, this every day, this breath, these steps, this, this work, this school, all of this. Take this physical life and you have to merge it with this spiritual belief that the only hope that I have in this world is because of what Jesus did on the cross. And Peter says the way you do that is you repent and you be baptized. And in the name of Jesus, you will be forgiven. And probably there's some of you here today, you read and we're listening to what happened in Acts chapter 2. You're, 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 you know, we're talking about the story of the Zusa Street revival and you're wondering, well, 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 Pastor Bobby, what should I do about what I've heard? What, what do I need to do about all of this? Well, I got some good news for you. I got some good news for you. The Bible says that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The Bible also says that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So before we leave today, I want to give you the chance to do something with what you've seen and heard today. These men, they brought their friend to Jesus because they had experienced him for themselves. If you're here today and you've never experienced Jesus for yourself, then I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. I want to give you an opportunity to do do something with what you've heard and what you've seen today. And so here's what I want to do. I'm going to ask everybody in the room, just bow your heads, close your eyes as we close out our time together. Bible says if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, you shall be saved. There's nothing, there's nothing magical about this prayer I'm going to lead you in. It's about what you say with your mouth and what you believe in your heart. But I want to lead you in a prayer so that anybody here today can begin a relationship with Jesus. If you're ready to start that relationship today, then right there in your seat, in the quietness of your heart, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. Pray this prayer with me. Father, I know that I'm a sinner. I've done many things that displease you. Today I come to you and ask you to forgive me of my sins. I repent. I turn my life over to you. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you were buried and rose again for me. Help me do for myself what I can't do. Help me to live the rest of my life for you. In Jesus' name, amen. These men brought their friend to Jesus because they experienced him. And let me say this today, the number one most important decision you'll ever make. It's not, it's not what you pass down to your kids. It's not how much bank, it's not. The number one most important decision is that you have a relationship with Christ. Personal, not, not my mom's, not my grandma's, not my family's, that I have a personal relationship with Jesus. It's number one. For some of you, like these four men, you, you've experienced Jesus. You've, you, you have your spiritual beliefs. You have that spiritual belief. And, and, and they, had this, they had this unity amongst the church. And, and these four men, they had this unity that, that people are a matter over possessions. They merge their spiritual belief with their physical life. And so my question for you today, maybe you know Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've, you've taken that step. But here's my question for you that I want to encourage you to ask. God, show me areas that I need to merge to you. God, is my spiritual life and my my, my spiritual beliefs and my physical life, are they merged the way that you call me to merge them? 
Is there things in my life that I'm hanging on to? Yeah, I'll give you that, but I'm going to hang on over here. Merging's hard. Just like in traffic. Sometimes it's difficult. God, show me the areas I need to merge to you. Here's what I believe, church. God's doing a great work here at City Hope. And uh, yeah, I tell people all the time, man, I'm just trying not to screw it up. How's the church going? I'm just trying not to screw it up. God's working. God's doing some cool things, bringing new people. Meet new people every Sunday almost. It's, it's, it's incredible. But I believe, I believe revival will happen when we as a church, when we come together in unity and we, we hold our corner, we invite people to experience Jesus, we take people to experience Jesus, I merge my physical life with my spiritual belief and I come together and I say, God, I'm on a mission for you. That's when revival is going to happen. You're missing something in your life. There's, there's this dryness. There's this emptiness. There's this lethargic feeling. God, I need a fresh outpouring of your spirit. And let me encourage you this week. Go hold your corner for somebody. Go hold the corner for somebody. And watch what God does in your life and watch what God does in theirs. Father, I thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to preach your word. Thank you for these wonderful stories and the history that we're able to read. God, I thank you for the early church and the example that they left for us to be devoted and be united. I thank you for these four men. We don't even know their names, God, but what a great example that even when things get tough, we don't stop. We don't let, we don't let our corner down. And I pray for those that are in here today that, that are struggling, that are weary, that are trying to push their, their son or their daughter, their, their parents, their, their friends, their coworkers. They're trying to push them to you. God, help them to have strength. Help them to carry that corner until they come to know you. Lord, I pray for those of us in here who there's places in our lives that aren't merged to you. Yeah, we give you a couple hours on Sunday, but God, there's these other places where, where nobody else knows about. And God, I pray that we would merge those spiritual beliefs in our physical life. Lord, may City Hope be a place of hope that people can come and experience you in great and mighty ways. Lord, let that be our cry from now to eternity. We love you, we praise you, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for tuning in with us today. We would love to connect with you, and the best way to do that is through social media or go straight to our website. God bless you, and have a wonderful day.